0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And joining us in a little bit will be UC Santa Barbara coach Andrew Chekets. Very excited to talk with him about the Gauchos, who are a very intriguing team as we look to the 2021 season. Before we get to that, I've got to tell you about Rapsodo, which presents the Baseball America College podcast. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database All right Joe here we are, it is the middle of November now as the offseason continues to roll along. And we had something of a busy news week in college baseball and college sports overall. uh, Here, since we uh, last spoke on the podcast signing day was last Wednesday we I I mentioned that that was coming up and uh, things you could check out on on the website in our last episode, so hopefully you checked out those top 25 recruiting rankings over at BaseballAmerica.com. Um, we had a coaching change as Troy Percival resigned his position at UC Riverside, which continues to um, maul the idea of eliminating their entire athletic department, uh, so a lot of uncertainty at, at UC Riverside this fall and now Troy Percival is out as uh, as head baseball coach And we got news from the Ivy League that they will not play spring sports until March 1st at the earliest. That doesn't really affect baseball. Uh, Most Ivy League schools sit out the first two weekends of the season anyway, which would put them on track to start at about that time, uh, assuming that the baseball season starts on time this year. So interesting nonetheless, and that's an earliest possible date for the Ivy League. They probably will meet again and make a further decision about whether that Date ultimately comes to pass as we get closer or not. So Joe, lots going on this in, in this time and, and college sports overall. The NCAA just today announced that the entire NCAA men's basketball tournament will happen around the, the city of Indianapolis. Not a true bubble, uh, but something of a bubble uh, and, and something to, to watch if they want to do something similar uh, for baseball remains to be seen Seems unlikely, uh, but interesting developments nonetheless. At a time when, uh, you know, the the amount of COVID cancellations in football continues to climb, and basketball is is approaching, and they're already canceling basketball games two weeks away from from opening day. So a lot going on in college sports here in the middle of November.
1: Yeah, no kidding. And I guess I don't have any stories this week about uh, dead washed up sharks or fish. So I guess I'll, I'll just jump right in rather than regale you with any any tales here. But yes, quite a busy week. And on the, the, the UC Riverside situation first, I mean, that's just a such a tough situation that the administration has kind of put all of these programs in. And I'm not even necessarily blaming them because I think we all understand what's going on here and why it is they're considering doing what they're considering doing so it's not even necessarily to throw some blame on them but what they've done now is, is this has been out there in the ether for so long now that even if you decide you know what we're gonna steal ourselves and build these programs back up and keep pushing forward with athletics well but now you've created a situation where it's going to take a number of years for many of these programs to really get back up to even where they were i mean in baseball's case not only have you lost your head coach and troy percival uh, their best pitcher, his son, Cole Percival, which um, I think there was some thought out there at some point that, you know, as Cole Percival matriculated out of the program, presumably into pro baseball, that Troy might do the same. And it turns out that actually is the case.
0: Just we, not in the way anybody anticipated. Correct. Yeah, that was we, out there that Troy Percival, who'd been head coach at his alma mater for I believe six years, um, was, you know, once Cole was done and Cole this year, I guess would have been a Uh, I've lost track because he took a redshirt year because of Tommy John. I don't know if this would have been his redshirt junior year or redshirt senior year. Regardless, he'd been there a few years uh, and was moving, getting close to moving on to pro baseball, which he did. Ultimately, he signs with the Dodgers as a free agent. Um, But yeah, that rumor was out there that once once Cole was done, that Troy would not, not be the head coach for too much longer.
1: Yeah, so I mean, they, they really backed their way into that one because uh, you know, that, that is not the way that anyone, I think, saw that going. And, of course, that's, that's no fault of theirs. That was mostly COVID-related with the season playing out in, in just the way that it, that it did. But, it, I mean, it is a tough situation that they've created there. And, and like I said, I, I don't know if anyone is necessarily um, at fault just because uh, it's a tough situation out there for everybody. But, but now you, you really are working from behind if you're these athletic, athletic programs at UCR – you know, I can say that you look at the transfer portal, and there are a lot of baseball players at UC Riverside that don't have a ton of confidence in that program because um, you know they're they're not so sure maybe it's going to exist uh, beyond the current moment. So, um, so that is is happening there. I, I also um, want
0: to add before we move on there that Troy Percival gave an interview on Perfect Games uh, serious XM show in the a few days before his resignation became public. And in there, he estimated that the chances of UCR not playing a spring baseball season, not even that the 2021 season would be their final season, but just that the program was canceled immediately before the spring season started. He put that at 15%. I don't know whether that feels high or not. Um, You know, the situation at UCR has... been going on since August pretty publicly, uh, which is uh, it's, it's, too it's, it's, it's too long. It's it's too long. Yeah, it's, it's a very, long. it's a very you want them to make this decision. You want them to be, you know, you, you want them to be sure when they do this because it's a massive decision. But yeah, you're right. It's too long. They've either either do it or get off. You know, like you, you can't keep straining all of these players, all of these coaches out. You know, this is their academic career. This is their athletic career that you're talking about. And again, I understand this decision is not an easy one, but for this to have been playing out now for over the course of three months, I understand why everyone is frustrated uh, with the situation. And, you know, if they wind up not playing this, this spring for whatever reason, that would be, it would be stunning that, you know, they, here we are four months from, the, the start of the season, three months from the start of the season, I can do math. Uh, And, and they aren't, they aren't quite sure what's going on out there. It's, it's not a good situation at all. And, you know, frankly, I, while I understand the frustration that, you know, any of those head coaches must be feeling, I, I don't know. It feels, it doesn't feel great that you as a head coach who are, you know, a former big leaguer who's in this, conceivably you know for the love of the game and your university that you're now leaving your much less experienced assistant coach holding the bag as you know everyone tries to figure out either a new home or you try and move forward into a 2021 season under extremely unusual and not suboptimal circumstances
1: yeah so it's it's just a situation where I- maybe it's a bit extreme to say they'd be starting back from square one if they try to just keep pushing and, you know, try to get back to normal and and continue because recruiting can also be going great. If this is hanging over your, your head. And obviously UC Riverside is a a tough place to win at regardless, you know, you just look at the history of it and they've certainly had some players, one of whom we will talk about with Andrew Checkets here shortly, but um, you know, it's just, it's a tough job to begin with. And then this has obviously made it a lot tougher. The other thing I'll say quickly on one of the other topics you talked about, and that's kind of, you know, the Ivy league pushing things back and and just the general uncertainty we've seen around college athletics. It was not a good week for college football cancellations. I've talked about the, the week and we've just come off of college basketball, got some, some bad news in terms of, you know, that uh, the report I've seen you reference on, on Twitter is that, you know, upwards of 30% of programs have had at some point are currently stopped as of last week, or had been stopped for a two week period due to COVID. And so I think it's just increasingly clear. And I, I think we've Suggested this in the in the past and past episodes that if you think this college baseball season is going to be anything different than what we've seen from football and basketball, in terms of basically we're gonna get in a runaway minecart and go down. You know, it's like one of those levels, I think it was in the Donkey Kong country on Super Nintendo that I had, there was a level where you were riding in a runaway minecart and you had to like jump over gaps in the in the broken uh mine cart tracks and you had to you know pick up some stuff along the way i mean that that's really what this kind of feels like is a runaway minecart that we're just going to try not to crash basically and, and get to june and allow baseball to have a tournament and a college world series and, and do all that over again which of course the NCAA is, is motivated to have happen so i have every bit of confidence they're going to try to get this off the ground and i i believe that to be the case but um it really is going to be a situation just like we've seen with football and basketball we're we're going to have cancellations we're going to have dicey situations on whether or not a team can play we're not going to know until the, the you know the team's equipment bus leaves or the the team bus leaves what have you i guess as it is in, in baseball but um it's just going to be it's it's going to be the same deal like there's not a silver bullet coming in time for college baseball to feel any different and we can we certainly need, to, I say, we as college baseball in general need to be smart about scheduling, and that's the, that stuff is still kind of continuing, and, and we'll know more as the, in the weeks to come. But that's part one. But the part two of this is navigating it, and it's it's just going to be tricky. Like there's really no way around it, and there, there's no there's no scenario under which the college baseball season, barring some kind of you know the vaccine really speeding up at this point, uh, that is going to allow for the season to 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 really not just mirror what we've seen with football and basketball. And I'm sure, by the way, in the smaller sports that, of course, I just I don't keep up with as, as much so and don't get as much pub as, as those two big ones.
0: Yeah, and a lot of these cancellations in football and presumably in basketball as well will, will be the case. It's more about contact tracing than about the actual positive tests, that the positive test numbers are relatively low in a lot of these cases. But through contact tracing, position groups get wiped out in football or in basketball's case with uh, a roster, that's only like 15 players, like suddenly half the roster is wiped out. Um, That'll probably be similar in baseball. And I know that various conferences are talking about, uh, you know, setting minimums for certain positions, the way that they have in football, where you have to have a certain number of linemen to be able to play the game. Like I would anticipate baseball will have a requirement that the team have x number of catchers and pitchers to to be able to to get on the field I to my knowledge no one has finalized those numbers yet uh, but I would look for that um, in the the weeks and months to come as uh, as we get closer to the season and they get closer to you're know, really establishing some of those protocols that if 30 out of 35 players are healthy, but every single catcher on the roster has been knocked out due to contact tracing. That's probably not going to be good enough. So yeah, just another level to, to think about and look at.
1: Yeah. The, the new, the new market and efficiency in college baseball is to uh, look at which of your players live with each other and spread out your position groups among all of the campus apartments they live at to make sure you, like all your catchers aren't living together. That, that's what, that's the new market and efficiency is to uh map out who lives with who to make sure that uh, you're not going to get contact traced out of a weekend.
0: I mean, like you're joking, but like, honestly, coaches are now thinking about like who's living with who in a way that I don't think they probably ever did before. Uh, Just because of some of the way that these restrictions are, you know, what defines a household matters in some counties around the country. And uh, yeah, it's all, it's a, it's a new world obviously. And, you know, that actually is a part of it. And it's, it's kind of wild that that's now uh, just another thing that the baseball coaches who are so good at juggling roster construction and half scholarships, quarter scholarships, and all the rest of that uh, to get to 11.7 now are also having to think about this, uh, you know, just what the living situation for all of their players is.
1: Yeah. And part of the reason I bring up the, this situation to expect for the baseball season is, is also because I think it's important to note um, because we've kind of fallen into this trap, is is to where it the, the the decision to to play football in the way that they have, and I'm sure it will happen with basketball, has been really introduced as a false binary choice. Like it really seems like the only two opinions out there is that the football season has been a disaster or the football season is going just fine because whatever percentage of games, eighty percent, seventy five, I don't know what it actually is, have been played as as at least scheduled most recently. Um, and I think it's important to note that (laughs) chances are the baseball season is going to look something like that. And the, the real answer is somewhere in the middle. Like it's not going to go perfect, but also if the teams for the most part stay healthy, if there are shutdowns here and there, but for the most part, teams get back on the field, we're able to have a viable college baseball season. And that college baseball season ends with an NCAA tournament and a college world series in Omaha, like we'll consider that a success. Now, could it be a success with marks of really bad weeks where, you know, we had 10 or 12 series get banged? Sure, absolutely. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a disaster. It also doesn't mean if we get 80% of the games played, it was a wild success. The answer is somewhere in the middle. And I think we just need to be prepared to realize that that's going to be the case.
0: Yeah, I would say that that's definitely true. And, you know, it's, all of this is good. Uh, uh, What's happening in football and basketball will affect baseball. It's important to remember that that the completion of both of those seasons is pretty significant for baseball and for every other sport uh, for for a lot of reasons. But, you know, just them going out and proving that it can be done to completion is is important. And, you know, part of playing through a pandemic means that games will be canceled. That's true. That's been true in every sport in this country and if you look globally that that's also mostly been true at least in europe and you know so that's just where we are right now games will will whatever schedule gets released is important but you know that that isn't as as going to be as indicative as um you might normally expect a schedule to be so a lot to a lot of, of ground still to cover before we get to opening day opening day still has to be decided upon um, officially, and then we'll, we'll see where it goes from there, but what, where we are today and where we will be then, you know, again, is in, in, in the state of, of everything, um, you know, a lot to remains to be seen on that. So hard to, I, I don't want to get over our skis here at this point, you know, as various things get announced, because if there's one thing that we've learned this year, it's that. What's true today isn't necessarily going to be true tomorrow, no matter how official the announcement or unofficial the announcement is. Uh, You know, it wasn't that long ago that the Big Ten announced a football schedule and then canceled the football season the next week or three days later, whatever it was. Um, You know, they're they're not the only conference or league or entity that has done something similar. So and obviously then they reverse that decision as well. So, again, what, what's true today is not necessarily going to be true tomorrow, much less next week, much less next month. Uh, so a lot still to be determined before the, uh, the college baseball season gets underway. And we'll be covering it here on the Baseball America College podcast. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, uh, now would be a great time to, to do so on your favorite podcasting app. Be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review. We appreciate all of that. Uh, it really does help us and, and other people to find the podcast. So, uh, if you can do that, uh, again, we, we really appreciate it. For now, let's get to our interview with UC Santa Barbara coach Andrew Checkitz. The Gauchos were off to a, a really great start in the 2020 season 13 and 2. They were coming off of an outstanding 4 and 0 week when the season got canceled. Uh, all against UCLA and Oregon State, they they'd gone uh, w- with a perfect week uh, leading up to to the season's cancellation, and you know we're we're really getting on the national radar as a as a team to watch in the Big West and and beyond after that, and really unfortunate timing that, that the season gets canceled right at that moment, uh, you know, for the Gauchos, but they return pretty much the entire team very interesting team in, in 2021, and, and I think a, a definite top 25 candidate, a definite Big West contender, uh, someone that I'm very excited to hear about uh, from Andrew Chekets. So let's get to that interview right now. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to be joined by UCSB coach Andrew Chekets. Uh Gauchos off to an impressive start in 2020 before the season was halted, and there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about them in 2021. Coach, uh, we're excited about the Gauchos. I'm sure you're excited just being out there with them this fall and and all the rest of that. Just how's it been to be back out on the field after such a long layoff?
2: Yeah, you know, it's falls usually has a lot of layers to it in terms of, you know, small group work and all the stuff that you're doing with, you know, planning and, you know, position specific IDFs and IOFs and bullpens. And, um, (laughs) you know, the, the COVID protocols added one more layer to that. Uh, So I I feel like I've spent as much time planning and organizing uh, as I have on the field. So when we do finally get a chance to step out on the field, I almost don't, care what we're doing. We're out in the sun, throwing some ball, balls around and hitting them. So that part of it's been great. It's been good to see the guys. Um, nice to have them back. And, and, you know, we've got, a, we've got a talented group that, you know, we think, think has a chance to do something in the spring.
1: You were obviously, as, as Teddy alluded to off to, to quite a start in, in 2020. And uh, do you have a feel for what clicked most there? Uh, what really was working for you guys
2: in 2020 allowed you to get off to that start? We were really pitching it, um, and that, you know, that was, a I wouldn't say surprising. We knew we had some good arms coming back, but we had lost a lot. You know, we lost Brecht and Dashwood and Lincoln, and Shea Berry, and a couple other uh, key key personnel or key people in our, uh, our rotation and on our staff. And so um, going into it, we weren't quite sure, you know, what to expect. We knew we had Boone back, who was the Big West freshman pitcher of the year, in 19, and we had McGreevy come back, who was an All-American out of the pen, but you know, moving him to the moving him to the starting role, we weren't sure what to expect. And then we uh, we ended up um, bringing in Zach Tora, who ended up being significantly better even than we thought when we recruited him, um, and and made some big strides here in the fall, and uh, ended up being an All-American uh, there. So we, the pitching was carrying us uh, in 20 we were I think we ended up leading the, the country in era were tied with bandy uh, and I, I know there's major asterisks next to any kind of statement like that it's you know who you play and you know shortened season small sample size um, but they the guys really threw the ball well in the starting rotation um as good as the numbers were boone wasn't throw, didn't throw the ball great uh, to start the season off so um there was still some some room to even grow and improve uh, felt like from a starting rotation perspective. Um, and then offensively we were fairly timely with what we, you know, how we were scoring runs and, and when we got our hits and, um, and we played, we played solid defense, you know, all over the field, behind the plate. And So it was, it was pitching and defense. Our offense was a start over team. We lost seven of our nine starters from the year before. And um, a couple of the older guys coming back were dinged up. Um, McClellan O'Connor and Jason Willow were both were, both playing through some injuries and, and weren't playing at a hundred percent. So you know offensively, I think our you know our numbers um maybe weren't I don't I don't think they're um maybe as accurate as is the an accurate portrayal of what uh what our offensive potential is.
0: You uh you you mentioned you know how good that core was and they're now you know, back with you for the 2021 season. What does that say about them? You know, just given that I, I know some of those guys would have had opportunities to sign as free agents, but instead they're, they're back and, and ready to, to give it another go this spring.
2: Yeah. In particular, you know, McLean O'Connor, Connor Dand, uh, and Zach Tora, those three guys were guys that we thought may take the $20,000 and run with it. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the fact that they were able to look at it and say, Hey, there's going to be no minor league season. I'm I'm going to sign and take the money and actually not play. Um, I think that, you know, was a deciding factor for some of those guys. Um, so yeah, having them backs is going to be big. Connor Dan's really, he's in grad school and in my career in the UC system, he's the first grad student that, that I've ever had. Um, and usually it's, it's tough to get into grad school here, even if you're a, you know even if you go to an undergrad here it's it's really competitive to get in so he's he was a he's a really good student um and got into a really good program competitive program and he's looked you know he's he's looked very good as he should you know being almost 30 years old it feels like um but he's um those those guys give us a, a pretty good foundation of leadership with some you know older older core, older core guys that have been through some some battles
1: you mentioned his name a couple of times, so it's a, it's a good segue for me to ask you about McLean O'Connor. And he's a guy who a name who casual fans may not really know, but he's been a big part of what you guys have done there for the last several years. And I know you're excited to have him back. How big is it to have him back and what does he bring to the table?
2: Well, he's you know, he's a plus defender. He can run. He's got some leadership skills. He plays with his hair on fire. Um, he's got an infectious personality when he's out on the field that, you know, is really good for the younger guys to see. Uh, somebody play that fast and with that much uh, energy and intensity. He really reminds me a lot in terms of the field leader and the way he goes about his business. JJ Muno, who was on that 16 World Series team, um, who pretty much ran that club. Um, McLean may not be quite as vocal off the field as JJ was, um, but in terms of how they bring the energy and the mentality. Daily. mclean is is like that and so he he's a you know he's a spark plug for us and um, he makes everybody around him better he's been he's been special and uh, he also has been beat up he's you know he was dinged up uh, his first couple of years he was dinged up last year um it's it's the the break actually i think has done him some good he's he's healthy this fall he was not healthy last fall and so i think that's going to give him a chance to put you know, some better numbers up than maybe it did in 2020.
0: Your, your best UCSB teams have all been around being built around pitching and defense. And, you know, you mentioned Zach Tora coming back and McGreevy and Boone, we know what they can do. What, um, you know, wh- wh- how are you looking at this pitching staff setting up and and is there anyone that's, you know, taking a step forward uh, or will be ready to do so in the spring that, that you think is, uh, it is going to be a big part of that as well.
2: Uh, you know the starting rotation right now. You know we haven't we've only we only scrimmaged once. So we haven't seen a lot out of our our young guys. We um, you know we've seen some bullpens and um, McGreevy's made a you know a big strides since he really utilized the the last eight months to get better. He's, his outing on Saturday he was you know ninety two to ninety five. Uh, with a, a better slider and a better breaking ball and sat pretty much 93. And, you know, last year in 2020, he wasn't that it was, you know, 89 to 92 and he'd maybe flash a three here or there. Um, so he's, he's made big strides. I think there's going to be some com- competitiveness for that Friday uh, job between Boone Torah and, and McGreevy. Like um, McGreevy has put some pressure on, he's, he started on Sunday for us last year's putting some pressure on those other guys for that that number one spot. Um, Chris Troy, we've got him back. Chris had Tommy John last year. Um, he was a big arm converted catcher that pitched for us um, a little bit and then got hurt. Uh, he's got some velocity, the commands, still still a little bit of a work in progress, but he's been able to make some, uh, make some strides there and the velocities, you know, 93 to 96. He's, he'll bump a 97 every once in a while. Um, and his secondary stuff's gotten better so for him it's going to be a matter of you know the strike zone and being able to, to throw it in there and even for him he, you know he doesn't need to he doesn't really need to have pinpoint command He just to throw it over the white throw it in the window so he should help solidify the bullpen i mentioned connor dan who's uh, made big strides as well his velocity's uh, increased since he's gotten back his secondary stuff's gotten better uh, breaking ball change up so and he's he threw some uh, important innings for us last year, but I think his his role will get expanded. Um, so you know, I think we're still heavily leaning on that the, that older core group. Um, we brought in a couple of JC guys. Getting him Clayton Hall, who's got a good good arm. who's a closer at Merced Community College, um, and it was a two way guy there that's just going to pitch for us. Um, quick arm, a little bit undersized, but all the analytics numbers are really good. Gets a lot of swings and misses on his fastball. He should be able to come in and and help in the bullpen, and um, so we have much more depth in the bullpen than we had last year. Last year it was, um, you know, Connor Roberts was doing the the majority of the the work out of the pen in the high leverage situations, and he'll have some help down there, so he maybe doesn't need to throw uh, as many innings on the weekend. Curious about, you
1: mentioned the offensive numbers don't stand out in the way that the pitching numbers do. And you mentioned last year also being a bit of a a start over uh, team, to use your word, in terms of your offensive pieces. So it was a small sample, like we've talked about. But was there anything you learned about the guys you, you were putting out there into bigger roles in 2020 that is useful moving forward as you're looking at the 2021 roster, where you're looking with largely the same group of guys?
2: Um you know, it, it was such a small sample size and we faced real, some real pitching and we saw Sac state on the weekend and, you know, everybody saw the numbers that they had at the end of the year. I think they walked, it looked like Shane Bieber numbers in terms of the walk totals. Um, and then we went, we went to Oregon state and it was, you know, typical Northwest early spring day, with sideways rain and you nobody know, able to feel their fingers. So the offense was a little tough to come by. In fact, we, we won one of those games with one hit that probably could have been scored an air, um, and so I, I think it was hard to. We also played under the lights for the first time, and you know, in our program's history, and um, you know, you, usually we we don't play a lot of night games, and all, all, our ballpark's a little bit more offensive. Frankly, it's a lot more offensive during the day than at night. So we had we had all of those factors uh, thrown in there, along with a bunch of new inexperienced guys, um, and it you know, it was, it was a work in progress for sure. And we were, we were working through it. Now we did, you know, we did see Marcos Castanon really mature um, and turn into a a more complete hitter um, in control of himself emotionally. That's something that he had struggled with early in his career and would get frustrated and get himself out. And uh, he was much more mature and showed some power numbers. Um, And then, you know, we're going to get, we're going to get some guys back that weren't, Weren't healthy, you know, as I mentioned uh, Willow and McLean and then Bryce Willits who transferred from St. Mary's and had a labrum injury when he showed up and ended up having surgery on that. He'll, he'll be a, you know, a three, four, five hitter force this year as a freshman All-American at St. Mary's and um, left-handed hitter that's physical, can really play defense at third. Um, So it's much more competitive. Um, We did, you know, we we were having tryouts behind the plate at the beginning of the year, trying to find the best combination of offense and defense. And um, we're still, you know, right now having, having those tryouts again. So the, um, the season last year didn't really uh, help a lot in terms of making some of those decisions. It would be nice to, you know, hopefully again, hopefully our COVID testing goes, uh, goes smoothly and we continue scrimmage and get a, a better feel for what we have back there. But Mason Ang was somebody that, really he he just clawed his way into the lineup he's a a walk-on undersized catcher for us that um, you know we we didn't think we'd get a lot of offense out of we're trying to go with another guy a couple other guys to get some more offense and he he had a big pinch hit at bat to win a game against sac state and then was able to you know claw his way into the lineup and played really really well he was able to um, put competitive at bats together he's a plus plus defender um, he doesn't look like a professional prospect based on the, being undersized, but he, he plays a lot, uh, a lot bigger than than he is. And um, you know, right now, even coming back this fall, he's he's started to separate himself a little bit um, back there and, and offensively.
0: You're uh, you're going on your tenth season at Santa Barbara. Uh, I know it's a it's a really beautiful place. It's a it's a great school. There's a lot going on. Uh, you know, in terms of that, and, and now you have you've got lights put in at the stadium. Just what what do you enjoy most about you know living in Santa Barbara and, and coaching at UCSB? Um, you know, the beach, the the facilities. What, what 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 do you like most about where you're at these days?
2: Yeah, it feels you know it feels like I have a you know having played in the Power Five you know at Oregon State and having coached at Oregon um, and having some experience at you know, in the in the Power Five realm, um, also having been at the mid, you know, mid major before Oregon at UC Riverside and in the Big West. Um, you know, I I've seen, you know, I haven't seen everything, but I've seen, you know, the lifestyles and the different lifestyles. Um, and you know, frankly, from a selfish perspective, here there's a level of balance with my family. Um, that uh seems maybe not reasonable to expect at some other places um and so i think some perspective of uh understanding what i have here what my family has here um you know even as simple as you know my commute in that takes me you know a 10 minute walk where i have some built-in I've got some built-in exercise. I've got the ability to walk over and drop my kids off at the elementary school, and then walk in. You know, I'm recruiting in a car, so I can be home at night a little bit more than maybe if you're recruiting from a plane. Um, so I, there's some. I've got three kids under 11. There's some things here from a you know lifestyle perspective that um, you know, besides even the weather, uh, location part of it that make it you know ideal for you know my family and myself and and um you know i feel like we have the um we have we have the natural resources here um that maybe some other places don't have you know you can you know some other places really tough to build a beach it's really tough to you know make it stop snowing or make it stop raining um you can't write enough a big enough check to make those things happen and you know where we are um resource poor in terms of some facilities where we've got you know we've made progress but we still have work to do um we're not at a point now yet where we have a you know a top 25 facility and um you know the goal for us is to be a consistent top 25 program and we need to we need to continue to work on that i know our administrators and development people myself are continuing to work on that but you know those things are all fixable things those are things that um you know, we can, we can add to the natural resources. And so um, I feel like, you know, we have the ability to, um, you know, the program has shown that it has the ability to win um, with the current infrastructure and setup. And the feeling is that if we can, my feeling is that we continue to grow the, the, uh, the other resources to match the natural resources, it, it, it has a chance to be a monster.
0: You had the opportunity a couple of years ago, or at least there were opportunities on the West coast. Your name was thrown around. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but it sounds like you're saying you're, if not a UCSB lifer, but like that it would take an awful lot to pull you out. Is that about fair for where your current mindset is?
2: Um, It's a good question, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything's, you know, and it's you know where you at that day, right? Um, I I think from a family perspective, it's it's tough to leave. I believe in the program. I believe in our administrators. I believe in the school. Um, yeah, I mean, it would it would it would have to be something, you know, life life changing opportunity, life changing money. You know, I mean, it would it it really would. It'd have to be really significant to envision. Um, Leaving here, so and you know everything being equal, you know I would prefer to stay here and make Power Five money, have a Power Five facility. (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) That's that's what I'm that's what I'm aiming for. I don't I don't think the Power Five money is ever going to happen, but the uh, you know we can do something about the Power Five facility
0: for sure. Well, let's get something easier here. Let's talk about some of your former players who have had some. You know, they, they had a very successful year uh as well. Shane Bieber, just named last week, unanimously the AL Cy Young Award winner. Uh, he's had a fantastic start to his major league career uh beyond this season, even. What's it been like to watch his growth now once he left the program?
2: It's been fun. You know, I we're he's you know flying the flag for for us, it feels like, and he's, you know, he makes, he makes his home in Santa Barbara in the off season and trains here. And um, it's, he's always been very humble, even from, you know, his early days, he's been humble. He's always been very gracious. He's really intelligent. He's always been a worker. So it's not surprising that he's continued to improve and get better you know, in professional baseball. I think, you know, sometimes when you coach some guys and you get to know them, you worry about them in pro ball, you know, when it's, you know, they're, they're on their own for six months during the off season, you worry that maybe, maybe they don't know how to, you know, work at the level that they need to work at without somebody there holding their hand. And, and Shane's not that he's, you know, he's, he's self-made. He's, he's able to, to work and improve. And I just saw a major league interview where he was talking about all his pitches and, you think about all the pitches he's developed even since he left here just in the last five years, uh, says a lot to his one is his ability to make adjustments and have the athleticism and feel to be able to do that. And, and then two be, you know, the, the, uh, the drive to continue to improve and get better. I think even since he's got to the big leagues, his, his stuff's improved, his pitches have improved his um, that knuckle curve that he's throwing now is, is, you know, a fairly new new pitch, and I think that's a, been a game changer for him. So, um, it it sure has been fun, and um, to see how he's handled himself in the spotlights, you know, it's brought a lot of pride to our program. A lot has been made of the fact that he was
1: started out as as a walk on, and, and so I'm curious a little bit about uh, the start of his career at UCSB was, was it a situation where he gets to campus and it's kind of immediately, he sets himself apart and you're like, Whoa, okay. We've got something a little bit different here. Or was it maybe a little bit of a slower
2: burn than that? It was pretty quick. Okay. You know, we, we, I saw him, uh, early in his career. and I was actually just looking at those notes. I recycle my recruiting binder notes and was, you know, after about four or five years, I, Throw the old ones away and start putting the new ones in. I, I found some notes I had on him from early in his junior year and it just, you know, they're, hey, this guy can really pitch, but it was 80, 80 to 82 that day. Um, and then he had come back to a, a camp, team camp that we had here and was a little better than that. And we liked it. It was a little bit later in the recruiting process. So we were. We were low on money. Um, he wasn't really showing the velocity at that point, so it was a little bit of a gamble. He wanted to come. This is where he wanted to go to school. Um, and then Jason Hawkins, who was one of my assistants at that time, ended up going and seeing him again um, at some point. I don't remember where he saw him uh, exactly, but he came back and just said, "Hey, we just we got to get this guy somehow." So um, we bought him on layaway. Um, he came in his first year on no money. You know, knowing that. If you're on no money, there's some risk. You got to be able to make the team and be one of the, you know, the eight non-scholarship players that's on the roster. Um, but with the the plan that if he he performed well and did well, then he'd be on a scholarship the second year. Um, so and and all of that happened. He I went down and saw him uh, in the summer before his freshman year, and I, I didn't have a radar guy, and I was I was down at Window Park, and he was throwing in a summer league game, and you know he threw one inning, and it was really obvious right then that they, this guy could really pitch. And, hitters aren't getting swings and so we were excited about him from that point even before he showed up and then when he showed up he threw you know a couple bullpens and you could blindfold him and spin it around three times and he'd still throw a strike um and there was projection in the body and projection in the arm and um the secondary stuff was a little bit light the velocity still wasn't there the first year but from that point it was just a steady progression of improvement you know every Every year he got better. He started on Sundays for us for two years, but um, that uh, his sophomore year, when we hosted the regional in Elsinore. Um, there were some conversations in the office about, you know, he was throwing the ball the best down the stretch, and we had Dylan Tate, who was the first pitcher taken in the draft that year. Um, there were some conversations in the office about, you know, what, what do we do with the rotation if Shane's throwing the balls as good as anybody. Um, so not, you know, not that I think it would have mattered in that regional, um, but uh, he's, he's just continued to get better every year.
0: To rewind it a little further, you had Joe Kelly, now another World Series reign for, for Joe Kelly this year with the Dodgers. You had him at UC Riverside. We've seen what he's become, uh, you know, kind of a big personality, big arm in the pros. What are your memories of him back uh, as, a, as a college player?
2: what you see is what you get so he um he was like that then even as a you know a skinny little cocky outfielder that um had a good arm he was um he was confident he 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 was athletic I you know we coach Smith and I um, when we had him, we felt like we had, we had a couple of other really good outfits. felt like if he would have just been an outfielder and never ended up pitching, he, he would have been an everyday center fielder because he was so athletic. He could, um, jump out of the gym, playing basketball. He, you know, he was, he had a, an amazing arm. He could run. Um, and then he had that fearless personality, which I think has, uh, set himself up to, you know, that personality has, has served him well. And. Uh, the back end of baseball games, where he's got a a, a careless, uh, carefree attitude. I mean, he clearly cares and he's competitive, um, but he's able to really go for it when he's when he's out on the mound. And um, and Joe's Joe's as good a human being as you'll meet out there. He's he's an awesome awesome guy, and um, he's been really loyal to the UC Riverside program. And you know knows where he came from and um he's it's been fun to watch him continue to continue to grow
1: so we'll wrap up here with the most important question teddy and i ask all of our guests and that is to describe your favorite sandwich and so i will give you i will filibuster here for a second to give you a second to give that some consideration our guests have taken this and all different directions. Some guests choose to kind of build their own sandwich and just tell us what kind of condiments, what kind of bread, what kind of cheese, what kind of meat, etc. Others have chosen a sandwich at a particular place they go to locally. So really, uh, we're, we're open to you taking it in any direction you would like, but uh, please, Andrew it's describe your favorite sandwich.
2: Oh gosh, this is... My wife calls me medium maintenance. Um, not high <laughs> maintenance, but not low. <laughs> Low maintenance. So, um, yeah, Kyle's kitchen, which is a local place in town. They sponsor our pre-game meals uh, here. They're also my neighbors. Um, they, they have a California club and since I'm gluten intolerant, I get it. Unfortunately on lettuce, uh, it's a lot more fun on a bun with, uh, avocado on it. I throw an extra hamburger patty on top of the chicken. It's got bacon, uh, lettuce, tomato. It's a club version um, with some, with a little bit of flair.
1: Sounds like a solid choice. I have to admit, I I am someone who um, has uh, been told by my doctor that I am a little bit gluten intolerant as well. Uh, however, I just wear it um, because I, <laughs> I, I like bread that much. And, uh, you know, I, I am fortunate now in all seriousness. I am fortunate I'm not. It's not a serious situation. It's really just kind of how it makes me feel. So, you know, I, I am careful with it. But but uh, I just like, you know, bread on a sandwich enough where I just, you know, sometimes you have to make some sacrifices in life, I guess.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Every once in a while, I cave and then I promise I'll never do it again. because I, yeah. I hit a wall. It's like like, uh, like having an all night binger the next morning. So,
1: yeah, it's not it's <laughs> yeah. not fun. But man, while, while you're working on that sandwich, it he's uh, <laughs> off
2: big time. There's a lot of things in life like that, right? That's right. <laughs>
1: That's
0: uh, that is certainly the life experience. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we appreciate you taking the time here today. I, like I said at the top, we're excited about seeing the Gauchos next spring. I know you are as well. So we'll be uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on them because I, I feel like this has a chance to be uh, another really exciting spring
2: out at UCSB. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're we're excited about it as well, and you know hopefully everybody's staying safe out there and we get a chance to to play this spring.
0: Thank you again to UCSB coach Andrew Chekets for joining us here on the podcast today. Joe, you know I'm excited about the shows. You've you've heard me talk about them enough offline. I'm excited to be able to talk about them now online. I really like where this team is at in, at the end of the season. I like where they're at going into 2021. You look at that potential rotation of McGreevy, Tora, and Boone in whatever order they line them up in. Uh, that is a premier rotation Uh, maybe not some of the household names but that rotation is going to stack up really well against anyone they play and you know they uh you know long beach state made headlines early in the season we heard from eric valenzuela on the podcast about a month ago or so um you know and, and the dirtbags were were off to a great start in 20 as well but I wouldn't be surprised if the season had played out if the Gauchos had wound up on top of the Big West for the second year in a row.
1: Yeah, it, it feels like we're gonna have a, an interesting debate when we get down to brass tacks on our top 25 because I, I've i come along more on the Gauchos as I've kind of dove a little bit more into them. And certainly I was a believer in what Long Beach State was doing. And right now in our, in our most recent update to our top 25 as, as we've updated it a couple of times here during the off season, you know, if Long Beach State at 20 and UC Santa Barbara at 25, um, and it feels like that gap could close, and maybe it means they both bump up a little bit in the grand scheme of things. I mean, we'll have to kind of make a philosophical decision on how much, you know, we start from something like scratch on a top 25, or we just kind of iterate off of the most recent, most recent version. Certainly, we will talk about that once we actually have that, that published out there, but I could certainly see a scenario where right now we've probably got UC Santa Barbara as low as I could imagine them being. We snuck them into the top 25 last time around, but I'm with you. I really like what they, what they bring to the table. Um, That rotation, you're right. Is, I mean, that's, that's a situation where, I mean, you're talking about one of the best rotations, certainly on the West coast. I mean, any rotation UCLA puts out there, UCLA could like throw a dartboard at their pitching staff and grab three guys where the darts hit and feel pretty good about it. So they're obviously going to be in that mix out on the West coast, but you know, outside yeah, of that, I mean, I'd I
0: mean, say TCLA won, and then I don't know who else would be better.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, so um, it's that's a really and the, the the upside is such that it could be one of the best rotations in the country. Um, you know, is it going to be the, the 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 one with the the biggest household names and the most eye popping numbers? Probably not, but you know, ultimately, I think it's they know what they have and what they are, and I think that counts for a lot, especially in a season where you can't really count on on very much. Every every team feels like they're really deep right now because of the roster situation, but it's hard to imagine being a little more set in your rotation than what UC Santa Barbara is going with going into the season. So I'm really excited about it. I think it's um, in the bigger picture. I think it's an exciting season for the big West um, because of teams like Santa Barbara and long beach. And I think it's going to be really fun battle to watch play out over the course of the season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, I mean, we've talked plenty about the big West on this podcast over however many months, you know, Cal Poly is going to be good. Um, I know Joe is a big believer in Fullerton's bounce back ability. Um, when we did the the bounce back candidates, Fullerton ranked pretty high, and um, you know it it could wind up being being very interesting. And you know I don't want to count out our our friend Dave's Northridge team, which was also off to a a really nice start. Didn't get to see how that would play out in Big West play, but the top half of the Big West, you know, for as much as we've bemoaned what the big West might be, what it might be becoming. Uh, the top half of the big West in, in 21 could be pretty stout. And, you know, Hawaii sneakily could be pretty good. I think they have a, a bit of an older team. Now a lot of teams are, are a little bit older this year, but you know th- there's, there's a lot going on out there. So the shows, again, I, I cannot reiterate this enough. Like I, I really like this team. If they hit, better like uh coach checkets was talking about they're going to need to do that but if they can do that if they can make some of those strides and there's reason to believe that there is still upside offensively from what you saw in in this last season then i don't know i mean i, I just really like their potential and we've seen what ucsb teams can do when they reach their potential and when they're peaking at the right time you know, obviously in 16 that meant a trip to Omaha in, in 15. They hosted uh, in 19. They were in the hosting mix very late into the season. End up with the uh, the first Big West title in program history since 1986. Uh, it, it's it's a program that that clearly has a very very high upside uh, when they're clicking, and you know I I think 21 could be another time
2: where where they do that.
1: I agree with your general assessment there that, that 21 could be a, a big year for Santa Barbara and um, you know perhaps it it kind of further cements what you you know you got into this in the interview a little bit with with coach Checkitz. and you know I, I liked hearing him put it this way because I there are many 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 reasons why I am not and would not be a good division one college baseball coach and, and one of them is that you know, I feel like I, I like kind of like my creature comforts a little bit too much. And um, sometimes, you know, I, I would look at things like moving from one job to another and think about things like, ah, but you know, you got to rent a moving truck and uh, you got to get cable and, you know, or it, the internet installed at the new house. And that's just a pain. And you got to get your new driver's license, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's annoying about moving and would look at that at roadblocks. I, I, I say all that to say that um, I think he's got a really good attitude about his job at Santa Barbara. And, you know, he mentions the, the, the balance of family and work life, um, which I think, um, is, is important. And I think sometimes gets overlooked and, you know, should be, I think, uh, you know, far be it for me to tell anyone what they should be doing, but it's always struck me as that's something that, um, I would like to see in the coaching profession. Uh, more people put more of an emphasis on That's just my personal opinion there, but, um, you know, so there's that, um, you also can't argue with it being a beautiful place to, to work and to recruit players to, And while he is, realistic about the situation, you know, going so far as to say, I don't think I'll ever get to a power five salary here, um, but we can do the facility stuff and make no mistake about it. They were working and continue to work at a deficit, even when you compare it to, you know, comparable stuff on the West coast. So he's realistic about the challenges there, but I think he's also right in saying, look, you know, there's not really any big reason why we can't compete for national titles here. They've already proved that. But I think he's now in the process of proving that 16 wasn't just a one-off and that it wasn't just, you know, team got hot at the right time and, and happened to have a, a really good group of guys. This is a program where you can build something like this and he's proving it. And I think 21 could be another uh, pop-up for them in that way. And, you know, before too much longer, it might be one of the situations where sure he is going to get mentioned. Anytime there's a PAC 12 job that opens, uh, he's going to get mentioned. Um, that's just the way it works. Um, or maybe non-PAC 12 jobs, any big job that, that they think he might be a good fit for, he's going to be, get mentioned. But before too much longer, if he continues to succeed at this level, you know, it's going to be one of those situations where I think people will start to really understand what he's telling you and what you've said, where it's just going to take a lot to pull him away from that because coaches say this all the time, but I believe him when he says that he has what he needs there and he's happy with where he is.
0: Yeah, I do that list every year of your coaches to watch on the carousel. And it was interesting in 2019, we had several open West coast jobs. There was Washington state, there was Oregon where he had been a pitching coach under George Horton. Um, there was USC and I figured one of those jobs probably is going to Andrew checketts And you know, also I guess in that year was Oregon State making its final hire, and you know he's an Oregon State alum, so I, th- there were just a lot of options. And yet here he still is at UCSB, and you heard his reasons why, and you know, they they make a lot of sense when when you start breaking it down. You know, it's easy to get caught up in the idea of you know the the Power Five allure the Power Five paycheck. But when you're already in a situation like he is at UCSB, where you've built something, where you've shown you can get to Omaha, you've shown you can host, you've shown you can you know win the the conference title, you know there you know everyone values things differently, and you know so for for him to to value what he has at UCSB, it's a really nice setup. <laughs> you know the beach is right there. Uh, it's a really good school to recruit to. They have shown they can get really good players there, and there's a lot going for it, and there's a lot going for for the university and, and for the baseball program right now. So, you can certainly understand the, uh, the the decision to stay there, even if on the surface, when when those jobs open, um, you know people are going to keep talking about him. I'm probably going to keep including him on that list because he's one of he's a really, really, really good coach, and, and that's what he's shown at UCSB consistently now. Uh, for almost a decade. Speaking of including Andrew Checkitz on lists, Joe and I, this week on our top 25, uh, we ranked the best coaching hires since 2000. And that's the best coaching hires, not the best coaches since 2000, the best hires that happened since 2000. Andrew Chequets does make that list at UCSB. Uh, It's topped by Tim Corbin, Kevin O'Sullivan, uh, probably no surprise there, Brian O'Connor, number three, I found it to be a very interesting list to put together, um, shouts to ESPN for doing this for college basketball, like seven months ago. And for me, for you know, that, that's where the genesis of the idea in my head came from. Um, I don't know where they got it from, but, uh, <laughs> shouts to ESPN for, for, for giving us this idea that that we could take, uh, Joe, what, what, what did you think as you, uh, as you went through and, and were working on, uh, you know, trying to trying to order some of these coaches and, and uh, you know, just go through and invite some of the, uh, the capsules.
1: Yeah. First off, fun idea. Good, good job by you on lifting that idea. Cause this one was kind of fun and uh, was interesting to work through. And, you know, I, I found it interesting that you, you had kind of put these, the coaches we have listed here, there are a number of buckets, but there's two main buckets. Bucket. Number one is program that was really going nowhere fast until said coach got there and then things really took off. So the, the top of the list is litter with these guys. you got Corbin, you got Brian O'Connor at Virginia. Uh, you've got Dan McDonald at, at Louisville uh, is certainly an example there. Um, there are others a little bit further down the list. Chris Pollard at Duke, I suppose is another good one there. The other bucket is good program that had either taken a step back and needed to be reinvigorated or a program that was kind of considered an underachiever. Uh, Florida is probably an example of the program that good program that had taken a step back. Um, they actually, as I was looking back at this list, they were actually a little bit better than I had maybe given them credit for in the eighties the and the nineties, but certainly was in need of a, a little bit of, of a reboot and Kevin O'Sullivan has certainly given them that. And John Savage at UCLA is an example of that as well, uh, where, you know, I remember when I first kind of started paying attention to college baseball, that one of the things that was said about UCLA is that they were a little bit of an underachiever. They, they'd had some teams, the 97 team stands out where they were really, really talented. So they, they'd had little moments here and there, but they really hadn't ever put together really long extended periods of, of sustained success. And, and so John Savage gets there, um, obviously culminating in a 2010 national title, but he really starts to, to do that at UCLA and, and the rest they say is, is history there. So I, I was kind of 2013, 2013, which means I did a typo in here. Um, so thank you for that. Oh. I was literally well, on me off. for
0: uh, for not catching it last night.
1: <laughs> yeah, 2010 would be a South Carolina title. Um, yes, 2013 UCLA. So I will fix that typo when we are done here. I'm making a note. Um, but yes, 2013 national title. Thank you for that correction. So, um, but but so the rest is history there at UCLA. So I you know I found it interesting that that they really kind of fit relatively neatly into those two buckets. And of course, there's degrees of this here. But um, so it was kind of interesting to try to take those two buckets and try to merge them because it gets tough where what do you value more? The fact that Kevin O'Sullivan took Florida from, you know, a good regional level team that, you know, occasionally gets to the CWS to being a juggernaut in the SEC, or do you value, you know, I think Corbin was probably number one with a bullet here. So do you take O'Sullivan or do you take Dan McDonald where he hasn't quite broken through the national title, but that program was really non-existent in terms of big time success. And he immediately makes them one of the best programs in the country. And, and those two things, because they're a little bit apples and oranges are just inherently tough to compare.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of think the top three are almost inarguable and that not not in the order, but the Tim Corbin, Kevin O'Sullivan and Brian O'Connor are your top three pick and order. And, you know, there's definitely an argument to be made for O'Connor over Sully. Um, Excuse me. When you look at it, you know, Virginia was not in a good place prior to Brian O'Connor taking over as head coach, you know, and obviously he takes them, wins a national title, gets into back-to-back CWS finals, just has made them a premier program. In the uh, in the ACC there, so when, when you look at that, I mean those to me are the three. I think that then you look at you know McDonald, Schlossnagel, Savage, kind of just on a one cut maybe below them, still very, very good, very impressive what they've what they've been able to accomplish and there are a lot of guys like that. you know one of the things I took away from this is that like we've talked before about the kind of generational, shift that we've seen in college baseball coaching where, you know, your Mike Martins, Augie Garrido, Mike Gillespie, Wayne Graham, Jim Morris, Mark Marquez, et cetera, have exited the game in the last four or five years. And this next group has kind of taken them over or taken over from them. And it's still a very impressive group that's been hired within the last 20 years. Um, you know, obviously the, those guys did incredible jobs for a really long time, and you can look at other guys that were hired in the '90s, like a, a Danny Hall. Um, but this group, very impressive, what they've been able to accomplish, and uh, you know, just what really, if you go back to the mid-2000s, the there are a lot of really high-end coaches hired uh, around 2003, 2004, and you know, just seeing them continue to have success here, you know, 15 plus years later. That, that stood out to
1: me. Yeah, that I did kind of notice that too, that there does seem to be, uh, you know, probably mostly just coincidental, just the, the timing of it, but there really was a boom, you know, 2002 to 2005, I would say, where a lot of really coaches that are, that are, are really high among the, the, the any any sort of list you put together, the best coaches going right now, um, you know, that, that, that the, between 2002 and 2005, a really high percentage of them came into their job. So that's kind of an interesting little, little, uh, stat there. Uh, I put together a, a quick list of, so there were some other names that we had bandied about, um, you know, guys like Lindsey Meggs at Washington, obviously getting that team to, um, to Omaha, you know, Dave Serrano at UC Irvine, speaking of our old pal, Dave, um, he was in consideration. So there were those guys, but I even dug a little bit deeper and came up with, with a few others that stand out to me, um, from, um, you know, a little more off the radar, some of them from mid and low majors, but but just things that that stood out. Um, one is Rick Heller at Iowa is one. Um, you talk about places that are hard to win. I think that was kind of the perception of Iowa is that some some coaches might have been a little scared off of that because place without a ton of history, place with a lot of things going against it. some of many of those things are still going against it. Uh, but Heller has turned that program into a consistent winner there. That one stands out to me. Eric Valenzuela at St. Mary's. We talked about that a little bit when we had him on the podcast. Uh, Mark Johnson at Sam Houston State. Uh, now, I, I understand this one a little bit deeper because that is where I went to school. But what David Pierce and Matt Deggs did at Sam Houston isn't possible if Mark Johnson doesn't come along after he is let go at A&M and kind of make Sam Houston his retirement job, his last his last stand in college coaching. Um, you know, David Pierce probably doesn't take that job at Sam Houston. He doesn't go from being an assistant at Rice under Wayne Graham, when that program is really cooking, to be the head coach at Sam Houston if Johnson doesn't do what he did there. So, uh, he's a big figure there. Mike Glavin at Northeastern, um, the results are are there a little bit. You know, they had the regional a couple of years ago, but I think with what they're building there, and there's evidence that something bigger is happening there. So he stands out to me. Uh, Jim Foster at Army, uh, you know, really turned that around quick. Uh, they are now right there with Navy in terms of uh, Patriot League powers and uh, Justin Hill at McNeese State stands out at former Mark Johnson assistant at Sam Houston State actually, but uh, really like what he's doing at McNeese. And that was a program that was a pretty proud program. There's, there's a lot of head coaches, good coaches that have come through McNeese um, that have gone on to bigger and better things, but that program had really um, had really kind of hit the skids uh, before Justin Hill got there and he's turned that around in a big way so there's certainly some examples of coaches at, at a little bit lower level um, that deserve at least mention here
0: yeah I, I think those are some really good names you know some of them like uh, a Jim Foster just it might be a little too early for them to uh crack the list but people that listen to this podcast hopefully know what I think of Jim Foster hopefully we've uh, we've expressed how how highly i think of him there um and you know justin hill is is a really good call he's he's done a great job making mcneese into that what they've become in the last few years and then when you look at you know mark johnson obviously i'll defer to you on that but he uh laying the groundwork at a place like that very impressive when you consider where they've come since he uh since he was there, uh, like you mentioned, David Pierce, Matt Deggs have taken it further, but laying the groundwork there, uh, important and impressive. There uh, at Sam Houston, we did manage to include some of the uh, mid-major types on the list. Scott Strickland, Kent State uh, comes to mind, and you know, just a shining example, obviously going to the College World Series from Kent State, but. Um, you know, definitely good to uh, to to mention some of those because they 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 examples like that definitely are out there. It, it's one thing for us to to sit here and, and wax about what Tim Corbin has done at Vanderbilt. Um, you guys know that, but like to to come out and, and find some of the other ones, uh, I, I do appreciate being able to to do that as well in this top twenty-five.
1: Yeah, and it's you know it's one of the things too where it's tricky because. I think that the the coaches who made from the mid and low major who made this list Strickland, Strickland guy like Steve Owens at Bryant. um, Those are a little bit of, um, you know, unicorns maybe Um, just because I think one of the struggles here is that, um, you know, these coaches often aren't around long enough at some of these mid and low major places to really be able to make enough of a mark to be considered there. So A, that's part of the reason why, you know, we, we bring them up is to give them their, their shine, but um, but also there's a lot of, you know, we don't, we don't exactly know how things would have gone if they'd have been there two or three more years. So it's, uh, you know, the fact that those coaches are on this list suggests that they really, um, you know, they were there for a while. I mean, a guy like Steve Owens, another uh, former guest on the podcast, we, we talked to him a lot about how, you know, his various moves, cause he came from the lower levels of college baseball and, you know, he just kind of sees himself as the kind of guy who, uh, really waits for his next move and really likes to just, you know, to use a phrase, don't mess with happy. You know, when he's happy, he's just, you know, um, he's not necessarily looking to shake things up. And so, um, that, so it says something not just about the success they had, but also the longevity they had. And it's also a hard thing to keep these smaller programs playing it at such a high level where you get that kind of recognition. So certainly there's that element of of it as well.
0: Absolutely. So I'd encourage you to check out the full top 25 over at baseballamerica.com. We will be back here on the podcast next week with another guest from around college baseball and, you know, who knows, probably another newsy newsy week ahead of us. We'll we'll see as uh, as things get closer here to uh, to Thanksgiving and teams continue to uh, to get closer to the end of fall ball you can follow us on Twitter for all the latest. I'm at Ted Cahill, Joe is at Joe Healy BA. There's plenty to read on the website, both college baseball and not. If you haven't checked out the top 25 2021 recruiting class rankings, uh, those went up last week on signing day. I would encourage you to check those out. I spent a fair amount of time doing them. So, you know, that's that's where I'm coming from with that. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of really great info in there as, uh, as we look ahead to the 2021 uh, high school class. Uh, there's also plenty of pro content if you're into our top 30 or top 10s or, or top 30s in the prospect handbook, which you can pre-order now at baseballamerica.com. Uh, the top tens are starting to roll out over on the website, so you can check out what's going on in pro ball as well. Like I said, we'll be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week. Until then, thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Andrew Chekets for joining us. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. And remember, you can check out the Soto National Player Database. At repsodo.com slash national database. For Joe, I'm Teddy. I'll see you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McKrispie Sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day.